The Old Testament reading may be found on page 274 in the Church Bible. Possibly not on the overheads. It's 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Yes. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, I should have said page 1193 for those following it in the Bibles. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, 
you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I have the privilege within my role within the diocese. Um, some people call it a ministry, but it's kind of a job. It's my life. Um, I work with children, young people, and those who work with children and young people. But specifically over the last three or four years, I've been involved in what some people call vocation and others call discipleship. But you may recall last year you had a wonderful, bright, young, tenacious uh, person in your congregation called Hannah. Uh, she was part of a scheme that I'm involved in running, uh, which is called the Discovery Gap Year. And uh, it's great to be here just to kind of, and over the last year, hear from her all the stories of what was happening in St. Jude's. I have a very soft spot for St. Jude's. I love coming to South Sea. It is a very special place. So I'm really grateful to be here this morning. And as part of my ongoing discipleship, share with you this morning what God has been talking to me about over the last few years. And that which I think is the message for this morning. So I pray that your hearts are open, your minds are open, and that your spirits are open too. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know whether you've ever been in that place where you hear someone singing a song that sounds familiar, but you think they've got the words all wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, so we all know people who kind of somehow have misheard the lyrics. When I was at school, there was a, one of, a guy called Jamie Wheeler who there was a song by Madness called The Wings of a Dove, and for ages he would be singing The Rings of Love. And, I could, and, and for ages I could, could you not hear what the words were about? And, and it's sometimes in the process of, of listening to a song or maybe just kind of hearing a song that we can be completely surprised that actually the, what we think we're hearing is not what's going on. So I've just got this little clip to play for you um, which kind of highlights some of that. It's, um, I do apologise for those of you who find kind of northern accents hard to understand. We're in the heart of the South, aren't we? But this is, this is good. Thank you. Never work with children and digital technology. <laughs> it worked earlier. Well, it's really funny. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> oh, here we go.
Thank you. Uh, I, I was a little bit worried about all the references to kind of pork products in that kind of thing. But, um, and and what, what, I'm, what lies at the heart of what I'm trying to say this morning is, is sometimes in the process of communicating the gospel, sometimes things can be misheard. And I wonder, I wonder that kind of communication uh, of how we live our lives as disciples, I wonder whether sometimes with young people, um, they sometimes mishear what's going on in our lives. How do we know that our children and young people are hearing the message clearly and not just repeating what they think they've heard? So this morning I want to open up to you some of the challenges that I think we all face as communities who want to share our faith and nurture children and young people. And and I'm going to try and use the Old Testament reading in particular as a helpful example. Um, Next slide, please. Thank you. Um, That's me. I want the slide, not me. You see my bald spot. <laughs> um, there's a brilliant American author and professor of youth, children, and culture. They have these very long titles for people in kind of academic America. But there's a, a wonderful, a wonderful, a wonderful theologian and professor called Ken DeCreasy Dean, and she wrote this book called Almost Christian. And what Almost Christian was about was looking at a study of how faith is transmitted to children and young people over a long period, and it's amazing. Because in America, they, they invest really heavily in, what, heavily in what they call youth ministry. They put lots of programs together. It's really entertaining. So someone thought, we'd better do some research to see whether this, if this is helping. See what's going on. We're spending you know, lots of money on this, putting lots of time, investing and praying. But what's happening? And it was really quite depressing, the news that came back. Because what they found was what young people believed and what they were talking about was not necessarily the gospel. And Kenda Creasy Dean kind of did some research into the research, as it were. And what she found out was that actually young people are hearing the message. It's just the message that they're being told is not the one that we think it is. And she goes on basically to, in this book, to explain that the lives of the people in the church who put all these lovely programs together, put their money together for youth programs... Um, actually do have some impact, but the impact of parents and other adults in in the church living their lives for God is actually putting out a message that might be not helping the children and young people, and probably other people too. In summary, she asserts that young people are learning very well the kind of beliefs and faith that their parents and congregations actually model. And what she observed was there's this kind of feel-good Christianity. It feels good. And, and, and young people want to live that out. And she was really concerned. And this concerns me too. And, it, and it's interesting, as I've been looking at discipleship over the last three to four years, I'm aware that we can't talk about discipling children and young people and growing them without thinking about our own faith. How I live my life has an impact for that which I expect to see in others. And that's really hard. The truth is, if we would like young people to live a life of faith, they must see it being lived out in our life. The sad thing is, uh, and you know, I, I'm going to put my hand up here, I see many people who are uncertain of their own faith. And some who believe in a kind of self-serving God, a kind of do-good gospel. That is really a far cry from the self-giving, sacrificial love of Jesus. Jesus laid down a lot, and somehow we can miss that. Perhaps 
if you like, the lacklustre, less than consequential faith of many young people is partly a result of seeing parents and adults in our faith communities practice a kind of faith that has no or little impact. Now, I'm not speaking about anything corporately, but let's bring in this challenge. What impact does knowing Jesus make on my life so that someone might actually see it? It's really hard. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. But actually, the first Jesus that many people meet is the Jesus in me, is the Jesus in you. Most people don't leave churches because of what Jesus or God has said to them. They leave because of people. They go, oh, I don't like that. So-and-so ignored me. You know what I'm talking about. So actually, where is Jesus in our lives? Now, I'm not trying to say that we need to beat ourselves off of it. It's just a dynamic that when we talk about how children and young people grow in faith, we need to be aware of. That actually what we do... It's really hard being a vicar, I believe, because your kids get to go home with you and see what you're like at home. But here's the deal. The rest of you, if you come to church and you bring your children and your family to church, they also get to see that as well. It's just when you work for the company, I guess it feels a little different, doesn't it? You know what I'm talking about. So how can that scripture this morning help us? Uh, The story of Eli and Samuel has some useful insights that I'm just going to run through. I've got three main things for you. That's very good, isn't it? Three main things. Um, and particularly how we think about our life as disciples and how that might impact others. Now, the story starts with Samuel and Eli both resting as the night starts to set in. The Lord calls out Samuel, and Samuel mishears what's going on and runs into Eli, who, being old, is kind of asleep but awake. I I know this because I start to wake up at earlier times in the morning right now, Um, and, and I believe that's a trait. Is that right? As you get older, you need less sleep. Is that right? There's some knowing nods over there. That's quite, quite, quite encouraging. And, uh, and Eli, Eli kind of says, well, hang on. No, I didn't call out. Go, go back. Go back and lie down. Samuel, again, hears this noise. Samuel, Samuel, he thinks it's the old man, goes out of the temple, goes to find Eli in his chambers and says, hey, what do you want? Samuel, I didn't call to you. Go back and lie down. And again, it happens a third time, doesn't it, in the story? And at that point, Eli cottons that something is happening. And he says this to Samuel. He, says, he tells the boy to go back and lie down, but he actually then guides him with what he should do. He's realised that God is speaking. And it says in verse 9, so, Amuel, so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, this is what you've got to do, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay in his place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Brilliant bit of guidance. I think, um, next, next slide, if you can see that, the creating space one. Da-da-da, anyway. It's worth noting in the story that Samuel was in the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. For all you Raiders of the Lost Ark fans, that thing, yeah? It's, 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 it's in a story here too. And um, Samuel was in that place of holiness. And I wonder where, uh, where we allow young people to encounter the presence of God. Now, Samuel didn't know. It says in the story he didn't quite know what was happening at that point. He was unaware of God's presence. That's why he went to our ceiling. But he was in a holy place. And I think one of the things I've experienced is that too many of our youth groups are good at exploring what Christians should believe. They look at the environment. They look at stewardship. They look at sex. That's popular with teenagers. It really is. Um, but, but here's the challenge. When do we provide a space where they might be able to hear the voice of God? Is it silence? Is it a lit candle? Is it a moment uh, for me taking youth groups um, 
on long walks always seems to kind of create a really interesting moment, that when you get to the top of that hill and you look over a valley, there's a moment to be had there. Is God speaking in that moment? Do you give time for God to speak? When is there time for the mysterious, glorious presence of God to be present? Experiencing God is as important, well, probably I think more important, as knowing doctrine and theology. It's not that they're not important, but you've got to start somewhere. Faith needs to be experienced. And we live in a time where young people are experiential learners. That's how they're taught at school. It's all about experience. Where do we give an opportunity for God to be present? He's here right now. It's awesome. The next one is about listening. And it's really interesting for for us as adults. Are we able to listen to young people? In the story, Eli doesn't work out what's happening until the third time. But he is actually beginning to listen to Samuel. He has three cracks at it before he works out what's going on. And where in our program and our life and our church do we actually listen to young people? It's really interesting. We all want young people to be in our churches. And one of the questions I ask youth workers is, where is your youth work good for someone other than the church? And by that I mean, actually, where does a young person coming to your community actually benefit? What good is it for them? Lots of people like to talk about what big youth group they've got, or isn't it great that we've got this many people at Messy Church? But actually, here's, we need to reverse that a little bit and think, actually, is it good for those people who are coming? It is great to have a big community who love Jesus. It is great to be together, but actually we need to think about young people. And that involves listening. In the midst of all the excitement of growing up, particularly young people, adolescents, culture, schools, exams, friends... Uh, searching for their own meaning, identity, and place. Where are we really hearing what's going on in the midst of their lives? I do not believe that there are young people out there who do not want to experience something other, if you know what I mean. They want something. And, and most of our time, our programs seem to weed that out, and we don't listen. So where are you listening to young people? In the midst of it all, there could be a real desire from young people for community, presence, transcendent moments that actually can be met through the community of Christ and Jesus himself. I find that immensely challenging. And that's one of the things we need to do. We need to listen. And the, and the last point is we need, to, we, need to, we need to know how we as adults point towards the presence of God. And for us it's about pointing towards Christ. When Eli realises what is going on, he doesn't get in the way. He's in another room. He says to Samuel, this is what you've got to go and do. Try it. If he speaks again, say this. His wisdom provides Samuel with that guidance. The same needs to be true when it comes to our work with young people and children. How can we point them to an encounter with Jesus? Not an encounter with the church, not an encounter with the youth group, but to the reason why we are having a church and a youth group, which is Jesus Christ. So we need to be aware of how we guide young people. We need wise people in our church. Wisdom is a gift that we require. Who knows what might happen if we actually allow a moment for God to be present and we can point young people towards Christ. We cannot make young people commit to Christ, but if they encounter Christ, something will happen. My dream is still within my job to have every young person encounter the living presence of Christ and reflect on their own life in the light of that and hopefully to make a decision to follow. Come on. Come on now. But young people need guidance. I'm coming into land. This is the closing slide. So in closing, 
I want to encourage you in your journey with Christ, especially where you have opportunities to encourage others, and particularly the young in theirs. Making space for God is a good start. It's why sometimes before we eat, saying grace is a really cool thing. It's why we pray together, isn't it? We give space for God. It's not just this thing, oh yeah, let's enjoy ourselves. Actually, God is present. I want to implore you to live lives that can be seen and heard as making a difference. Where Christ is the difference. This is hard because we're not all perfect. But it's, it's the testimony of, our, of, our, of the direction we're going. I, I remember once someone said to me, you know, does it matter how long you've been a Christian? And someone said, no, it's just, it's just the direction you're going that matters. So I want to encourage you to walk as well as you can and to live your lives in a transparent way. Young people have got loads of questions. Oh my goodness. And we don't have to have all the answers. If you think you have to provide the answer to convince someone to be, to, to be a Christian or to know Christ, then we're doing something wrong. God will be present. Jesus is there. If he's in our lives, we can say, well, this is how Jesus happened in my life. What's he saying to you? Would you like to pray? Would you like to commit your life to the Lord? We need to offer that. But it needs to come from a place of humility in that we are all struggling and walking. We all need Christ daily. Isn't the scripture, pick up your cross daily? Isn't that what we must do? That's discipleship. It's not perfection. And young people know that they can spot a fraud a mile off. You know, anybody gets at the front and goes, hey, I'm going to be wacky, entertaining kind of thing. I mean, I want to be up there rather than down here, genuinely. But, 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 but people can spot if it's not authentic, if Jesus is not making a difference in your life. And that is incredibly hard to say. Because it convicts us all, doesn't it? And my desire is that I would know Christ more. I am not perfect. We probably think we don't make great moral models or we feel like lousy disciples. But we need to cling to the truth and our experience and our relationship with Christ. Do you remember when Jesus first met you? Some people talk about it when, when, you know, the other way around. But when Jesus first met, do you remember what it was like? Brilliant. And it's that light of Christ that needs to shine through us. And it will do. He perfects all by his saving grace. I need Jesus daily. Perhaps we need to heed the guidance of Eli and be prepared to embark upon our discipleship journey and take up that cross daily. And we need to encourage young people to maybe encounter God and say, speak for your servant is listening. And that for me is where discipleship doesn't always start, but it continues every morning. Speak for your servant is listening. What will he say to you? How might he guide you? And how might that impact not just the young people in this community, but everyone? So I hope and I pray that when it comes to thinking about how we nurture and raise, that we don't feel guilty, but we feel empowered by the presence of Christ and his Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.